Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. I want to congratulate you on your 20th anniversary. Wow, wow. That's phenomenal. Praise God. And uh, we're so thankful for Pastor uh, uh, and his wife, Camille, and Pastor uh, Trevor, Pastor Travis, sorry, just slipped my mind. I know who you are. And, uh, and sorry, excuse me, just a moment there. Uh, but so thankful for them, and they have a great reputation across Canada as part of the Ministers Network of Canada and a representative in this area, and he's doing a great job, and we're just so thankful. I believe this is a safe church to be at. Amen? They're not going to bamboozle you, not going to hoodwink you. They're not going to run away with the money, if there is any. <laughs> They're going to keep on serving the Lord. Amen? Amen? Praise God. It's great to be here. We started off uh, in 1999, believing God for uh, 50,000 souls in our lifetime. And since that time, we've seen about uh, 3.1 million people come to Jesus around the world. Most of them, more than half of them, former Muslims that have turned their back on Islam and come to serve the living Jesus. And we're so grateful for that. As you can see, our ministry is quite expanded. We have about 70 employees now. We're in Thailand, Philippines, Pakistan, and, uh, and Uganda, also in South Sudan, Eastern Congo. We're down in, uh, in Panama. We're in Venezuela. And so we got some operations going on. And God's been blessing us. We got schools and Bible schools and, and uh, we have a lot of life skills centers where we teach people how to sew and knit and do fabric design and, and help people get off the streets. We just, uh, we just started last week. I just commissioned a new building that we uh, rented. We're hoping to buy it at some point, but we rented it to house uh, prostitutes from off the streets. We've been taking them. We've been training them with life skills. And now we just want to give them a halfway house to kind of get out of their trade and into something that is more stable and more, more godly and more like the life they want to live. Amen. And so uh, we're excited about that. We also just had a graduation with 83 students in northern Uganda with our, these are 83 pastors that had been pastoring churches who had never been to Bible college. And so we just graduated them with two-year course, and now we're moving on to uh, a place where uh, they're going to continue on, and it's a kind of a perpetual Bible school. We said, as long as you want to stay in Bible college, you can. And how many think that's a good idea? You know, I don't know why. We graduate people and kick them out the door, and then we don't, you know, see them for years and years and years. But this is a good system because we can keep tabs on the pastors, make sure that they're connected, make sure they're still growing, make sure they're still on track, make sure they're still preaching the gospel and not some heresy because they're out in the jungles and out in the... Uh, tribal trust lands and out in the uh, refugee camps and whatnot. So it's really exciting. So we have about 350 students in that program in Uganda. And uh, God's just been blessing our ministry. We're always looking for uh, people. I always tell pastors I could use 100 couples. I'm serious. And you don't have to be able to preach. In fact, that's probably the last thing that we need. Uh, not that you need to be able to articulate your gospel, but but uh, we don't need necessarily people with microphones. We just need people with some skills, just life skills, um, carpenters and, and mechanics and, and uh, nurses and, and housewives who know how to stack dishes. And, you know, I'm sorry, there's much more to, to being a housewife than stacking dishes, but know how to cook. We have cook. We have culinary school. We have, we have all kinds of stuff. And just uh, being able to organize is a real, <laughs> a real great uh, if you're an organizer, you know, just people that can organize. And, and so it's always great. Uh, we're so thankful to God for what he's done and uh, continues to do. So I just got back uh, last Friday and uh, came home with a package of typhoid uh, on me too. But praise God, I'm up and running now. Hallelujah. Ready to go. So uh, we thank God. We're just seeing some great things happen around the world. The harvest is plenteous. The labors are few. Now, that's hard for us to understand in North America. But can I tell you, the harvest does overtake the reaper. It's, it's, it's crazy. And we, need, we do need workers. We're not raising up enough missionaries. 
So if ever you want to take a three-month, six-month, one-year kind of thing or whatever, let your pastor know. And if he calls me up and says, you're not a lunatic, <laughs> we may consider you, praise God. I'm serious about that one because um, you get some interesting people uh, applying. But praise God, we're so thankful uh, for what God wants to do today. I want to talk to you today, and I want you to ask you to pray for our ministry. And we really are at the threshold of, uh, of really, we have really impacted nations. But I think we're, in pre- we're at the threshold of really breaking through into a new dimension with governments and, and authorities. And, and so I just ask you to pray that, that the pressure would keep on and we keep on growing and, and building the way God wants us to be. I want to talk to you today about turning the water into wine. And, uh, and uh, I want to talk to you about, about uh, living in a rhythm of miracles. Living in, living in a rhythm of miracles. Everybody say a rhythm of miracles. Now, uh, most of us think of miracles as a last-ditch effort. You know, somebody's going to go bankrupt. We've tried the banker. We've tried everybody. We've called everybody, called all our friends, called our late last un- uncle, and uh, tried to get uh, a miracle uh, that way, and it hasn't happened. We've, you know, we've called the doctors and specialists, you know, so, and there's nothing less left to do but pray. We really desperately need a miracle now. How many of God's involved in those kind of miracles? And he can redeem us and deliver us. But I'm also learning that over the years, and, and believe me, uh, we lived that way for years when we first started in the ministry. Some Sundays, but Pastor Travis, I'm sure you know uh, that, that uh, when you first started some Sundays, you, you, you thought if God doesn't come through the Sunday, we're going under, or we may, we may personally go under, or the church is going under. I don't know how many times I took my own salary and paid the bills uh, so that the church wouldn't uh, suffer and just lived at the bottom of the barrel kind of thing in the area of miracles. We're so desperate, Lord. But that God can help you to get to a level where you're living off the top of the barrel and where you see a rhythm of miracles. Miracles are not just for emergencies. Miracles are to advance you. Miracles are to increase your ministry. Miracles are to enlarge the, the sphere of your influence. Miracles are to build the kingdom of God. And so they're not just last-ditch efforts where everything's going to fall apart if God doesn't come through. There are actually uh, things that can advance us and bring us into a new realm. So I want to just look at the miracle of turning the water into wine. I wouldn't have touched this with a 10-foot pole when I was a young pastor um, because I just didn't understand it. But uh, now I'm uh, 38, 39 years in the ministry. I think I, uh, I'll tackle it today. On the third day, John chapter 2, on the third day there was a marriage of Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus was called and his disciples into marriage, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were uh, set six uh, water pots of stone after the manner of purifying the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. They filled them to the brim. And he said unto them, draw now and bear it unto the governor of the feast. And they bared it. And when the ruler of the feast tasted the water, was made wine, they knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. And the governor of the feast called unto the bridegroom and said unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when, thou hast, uh, when man have drunk, well drunk, then, the, uh, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of the miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee to manifest his glory, and his disciples believed him. Now, I want to just focus on verse 11 a little bit. This is the beginning of the miracles that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee to manifest his glory. Jesus turns the water into wine, and somehow through that miracle, it manifested his glory. And furthermore, it says that his disciples believed him. Now, you got to understand this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus would have just gathered the disciples together as he was walking. He saw the fishermen. He saw them, Matthew in the tax office. He, he saw uh, all these people that he wanted to be with him. And he gathered them, and they started following him. But evidently, it would appear that by this text that they weren't absolutely sure that Jesus was the one they really wanted to follow. And somehow in this miracle... 
the disciples, it was clinched, the deal was clinched for the, for the disciples, and the disciples believed him. They, they believed that he was the Messiah. And so Jesus demonstrates his glory. Now, uh, I'm sure that some of you have been around for a while, and we've, I grew up in Pentecost, and I'm not ashamed to say I'm Pentecostal by experience, and uh, I believe in the power of the word, and, uh, and, 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 and I'm not bothered by demonstrations, and I've seen them all. Believe you me, uh, you know, but how many have ever been at prayer time and somebody's fallen over or somebody's fallen slain or somebody started laughing or started, somebody started, and we look at that and we try to explain that to people who don't know. We say, oh, that's the glory, but truthfully, that's not really the glory. That's how somebody's responding to the power of God. Just like uh, we could get five of you men to stick your finger in the light socket there. I'm not suggesting we do, but... Uh, I know that all five of you would, would act differently. There's going to be definitely some macho man here who's going to put his finger in there and act like it didn't hurt and then cry on his, his, his wife's, you know, shoulder for the next month and a half about how sore his shoulder is in his arm. It's never been the same. And, uh, you know, and come on now. How many know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and so everybody's going to respond differently to that electrical shock. That, the response is not the electricity. The electricity is electricity. The response is how we respond to it. We're different people. We're made up of different characters, come from different places, and uh, have different mothers and fathers, so we're different. We're all going to respond differently. And so you see people, sometimes when the power of God, they go silence. Touches them, they go silent. Sometimes they start laughing. Sometimes they go into, you know, kind of dumbfounded and can't, don't want to talk, or they start weeping or whatever. And that itself is not the power of God. It's, 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 it's maybe an indication that God has touched somebody. Amen? Are you with me right now? You could have two people fall on the ground, rolling around, and one per, after prayer, one person is really genuinely touched by God, and the other one's just putting on a show. You know, you don't know. And we can't judge that, and we don't want to judge that. God knows what's really happening, you know. You could have somebody just didn't know any better. They, you know, say, you know, uh, they just fall over because everybody else is falling over. They just roll around because everybody else is. But I'm, the point is, is I, what I'm saying to you is this, is that in itself is not the glory of God. That's how we respond to it. And because we're different, we respond differently. Everybody understand that now. So what's your point, preacher? My point is this, is that over in John chapter 11, Jesus goes to uh, the, the funeral uh, of, of, of their brother, Mary and Martha's brother. And he's dead. And he's, he's uh, in the tomb. And G Mary and Martha come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, and, and so... Here they are, both of them come up and say, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So Jesus says, I'm going to show the glory of God. So I'm looking through John chapter 11. I'm looking for somebody who prophesies, somebody who speaks in tongues, somebody who falls over, somebody starts laughing, somebody starts going into a trance, somebody starts. None of that happened. All that happened was a dead man came alive. That's all. That's all. Jesus said, if you, if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. Then he defined the glory of God. I think one of the best definitions of the glory of God is if the glory of God has really hit somebody, something's got to change in their life. Amen? Something that's dead comes alive. Hallelujah. Something that's weak becomes strong. Something that's sick gets healed. Hallelujah. Something that's broke got fixed. Hallelujah. When the glory of God comes on your life, you'll pass from death unto life. And we'll really know whether God, we used to say this, not how high you jump, not how long you dance, but it's how straight you walk. We'll really know whether God really touched you if months down the road we recognize that something that was dead fell off of you and something came alive. Amen. This is a church of the living God here. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're on the main streets of Trenton. Hallelujah. And I thank God that you're here as a testimony and witness that there is a living God and you can demonstrate his glory. People can come here, here, here sick and they can leave well. Hallelujah. They can come in broken, leave fixed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because when the glory touches you, you'll pass from death unto life. So Jesus turned the water into wine to demonstrate his glory. <laughs> now that's an interesting one because... We look at that and we say, well, why would Jesus turn the water into wine? And, and how does that demonstrate his glory? Well, I want you to know wine is a symbol of celebration, right? It's a worldwide symbol of festivity. It's a symbol of, of celebration. It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of, 
of uh, abundance. And so Jesus turns this water into wine. And uh, when he does, he did something that was remarkable that I think really clenched it for the disciples. When he turned the water into wine, he was really telling a story. He was, he was finishing a story about a man named Moses who came on the scene years ago in the Old Covenant. And the very first miracle Moses ever did was he took that, that staff and he hit the water and the water of the Egyptians turned to blood. Moses turned the water to blood. Jesus turned the water into wine. What's the significance? The Old Covenant was a covenant of death. It was a covenant of judgment. It was a covenant of correction. It was a covenant of, of, of discipline. It was a covenant of, of, of wrath, if you will, that if you didn't do it the way God wanted you to do, there was going to be judgment. And that was definitely a, a picture that was being painted for the Egyptians, that if they didn't let God's people go free, the blood was going to flow in the rivers and down the streets. Amen? But Jesus comes on the scene. Of course, they had been looking for one. Remember, they didn't have the whole Bible like we have now. But they were looking for one who is greater than Moses. And Moses, uh, Jesus comes on the scene, and he doesn't take the water and turn it into blood and replicate Moses' miracle, but he takes the wine, and he takes the water, turns it into wine, and he demonstrates that he's come to give something new and fresh and vibrant. Wine speaks of life. Wine speaks of celebration. Wine speaks of, of acceptance. It speaks of festivity. And so Jesus did that miracle, and I believe at that moment, they recognized that this was who they spoke of that would come that would be greater than Moses. Hallelujah. So Jesus takes the water and he turns it into wine. You say, well, what does that prove? Well, it proves, number one, that Jesus had power, that Jesus had power over nature or over the elements. Jesus took uh, H2O and he turns it, are you ready for this? He turned it into C2H6O2. He took H2O and turned it to C2H6O2. And I don't know what it all is, but H2O is, uh, is the uh, equation for water. Uh, C2H6O2 is the equation for wine. And in wine, there are two carbons. 2C, I'm not trying to get technical with you, but it's just very simple. C2, two carbons, six hydrogens, and then something else, a little something else. And, but the deal is simply this, that in water, there's no carbon. And in wine, there's carbon. Of course, we want to look back and we want to find out where somebody lived, how long they lived. We do what's called what? Carbon dating. And so in water itself, can I tell you something? This bottle of water here, which has been so nicely uh, here for me uh, today, this water has no life in it. That's hard to believe. But, uh, you know, the moment this, and, and I looked, I mean, I, I, I was dumbfounded to find this out. But because my, my wife, 20 years ago, she convinced me, like everybody else, that we have to have bottled water around the house, even though it comes really nicely out of the tap. Amen? And uh, so I told her it's not, well, it's so fresh and so good. And, and, uh, but I found out the moment water goes through any kind of purification, any kind of filter, whether it goes through a filter, whether it goes through plastic, ceramic, whatever it goes through, the moment it goes through anything like that, it gets contaminated. Yes, they might take out the impurities, but they also take out the good minerals. And so water is 99.9% .9 dead. So there's you buying water, you know, keep on buying it if you want. But, uh, <laughs> but the deal is simply this. My wife buys water all the time. So. But the deal is simply this, is that I didn't know that, but somehow when it goes into our body, it creates, it, it creates a chemical reaction and brings life to us. But water in itself is dead. Jesus takes that which is dead, and by a miracle of God, makes something alive. Are you with me right now? He takes what's dead, and it makes it alive. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, when you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you you have cancer, and it's going to kill you. Hallelujah. And they don't know what to do about it. And they're going to try this, and they're going to try that. And they're going to work on you this way. And they're going to send you over there and here and there. One second, Jesus can take that which is dead and make it alive. Hallelujah. He can take those dead feelings. Maybe you're here today. You're suffering with uh, depression and discouragement, and you feel just like you're not where you're supposed to be emotionally. I'm here today. One touch from Jesus. He can touch you. He can power. His power can reach you. He can heal your body. He can take that which is dead, and he can make it alive. Hallelujah. 
Just one touch of God on your finances. You get your mind turned around and really repent of how you've been thinking about your finances and see them as see yourself as a as a co-worker with the Lord and he's your business partner. Just one touch after you've changed your thinking about that. God can touch your finances and take what is dead and make it alive. Amen. Praise God. Secondly, I want you to notice Jesus had power over time. I looked in the in the encyclopedia Google and I found out I found out, because I don't know much about wine, but I found out that wine to grow vineyard is three to five years. Three years to get it going, next two years to get good grapes. But say three to five years, and then, and then to make it, uh, t- then to get it going, it takes a uh, uh, little bit longer to uh, uh, from, ferment the wine or to distill the wine, and anywhere from uh, seven to 12 years, like for example, uh, a good, uh, average wine, 7 to 10 years, an aging wine, 10 to 15 years, and the best wine, 15 to 20 years. So listen, say three years to, to grow a vine, 15 years to get some really good wine, that's 18 years. 18 years to, to turn what would be water into wine. 18 years. Jesus, one second, boom. You say, what's the big deal? The big deal is when you go to the doctors and the doctor says you got cancer in your body and you're going to have to go to three months of chemotherapy and then take a month off then probably go to another three months of chemotherapy. But we don't know when you're going to get you in. We'll try our best, but maybe uh, it looks like next June, about 18 months from now, is when we're going to get you in. And then, and then after you take your chemotherapy, you'll take two sessions and they'll ch- check it, see whether it's working. If it's working, we'll keep on doing it. If it's not working, we'll quit that and we'll try something else. And maybe three or four years down the road, you still don't know whether you have cancer or not. But one touch from Jesus, hallelujah, and he can touch your body, and he can heal your sickness, take your disease away, and he can make you whole by the power of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Don't patty kick now. If you're going to clap, clap, hallelujah. Give the Lord a praise. And thirdly, Jesus demonstrates his authority or his ability to make what is valuable, what, what, to make valuable what is invaluable. It takes $30. Uh, by Canadian standards, I'm guessing 750 liters would be up to $30, depending on which community you live in. $30 worth of water. And he takes $30 of water, and he turns it into wine. Now, cheap wine uh, at $20 a liter, 750 liters, that's a $15,000 wedding gift. How many would like a $15,000 wedding at a good wine, $200 a liter, that's a $150,000 wedding gift. We should get married again, Sharon. <laughs> Hallelujah. But at $600 a liter, which is a, an expensive wine, that's $450,000. Then I looked on Google just to see whether I could find an expensive wine. And I found one for $14,000. Now they got them for three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars Somebody's got more brains and more more money than brains, but, but uh, here's one for $14,000 a liter. God made good wine, amen? $14,000 a liter, that's $10,500,000. Jesus took $30 and turned it into four hundred dollars to $10,500,000, and he did it one second. He took what was worthless, and he turned it into something that's valuable. You might be here today, and you might look in the mirror today, and you don't like what you've seen maybe years ago. That's when you got saved. You looked in the mirror, didn't like what you saw, and you realized you needed a Savior. And he took that which was worthless. He took that which was empty. He took that which was broken. He took that which was devaluated. And he t- put his hand upon your life, and he healed you, and he made something beautiful out of your life. Reinhard Bonnke said, I used to be a zero. He said, I used to be a zero. But I came and stood beside Jesus. And then I already was a 10. And then he said, another zero came and stood beside me. And already we were 100. And then another zero came and we were 1,000. And another zero came and we were 10,000. And he kept on talking about the zeros. And he said, we were all zeros. Standing beside one man, Jesus. And if we move away from Jesus, we're zeros again. But we have come and stood beside Jesus, and he has made us 
worthy and worth uh, valuable and worth something and he has taken that which is weak and he's made it strong and taken that which is uh, lifeless and given it life and taking that which is worthless and given us wealth that's what Jesus does for us hallelujah and I love the gospel of Jesus Jesus takes that which is nothing and he makes it into something he confounds the wisdom of the world with the fool of the world he takes a fool to confound the wise so that the wise can realize they need Jesus hallelujah what a savior we have hallelujah power over nature power over time he can take that which is worthless and make it valuable I said all that to say this how to live in a cycle of miracles in this story, we see a couple of principles I want to just get to you real quick. Number one, number one, invite Jesus to your party. If you want to live in a cycle of miracles, you've got to invite Jesus to your party. Turn to somebody and say, hey, invite Jesus to your party. I'm not talking about a party just on the good days. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'll invite Jesus to my party. Jesus, you can go everywhere with me, but you can't go to me with me when I'm on my computer. You can go everywhere with me, but when I'm watching TV, you've got to stay in the other room. No, no. Invite Jesus to every season of your life. I want to be where Jesus is because when I get into problems, Jesus is right there. Mary didn't have to call 911. She didn't have to run for her cell phone, send a text message to Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? Come quickly. We have trouble. No, Jesus was already there. She, he was already invited. Hallelujah. You say, well, every day is not a party for me, Mark. Well, I get that. But I understand that it's also the way you look at it. You say, well, tomorrow I got to get up and get in my car and drive 45 minutes to work and, and work all day and, and, and do it five days a week for a paycheck. And, and I can hear people on the other side of the world say, you have a car? You, 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 you got to work every day? You get a paycheck? Sounds like a party to them. Are you with me right now? You say, well, life's not such of a party for me. I was in the hospital last week, and the doctors and nurses were prodding me, and the bed was lumpy, and, and the medicine was terrible, and, and uh, it wasn't so great. And, and, and I can hear somebody on the other side of say, you were sick, and you had a place to go. You had a place to lay your head. You had a bed. You had a doctor. You had a nurse. Look, you had food. You had, come on now. Invite Jesus to every aspect of your party. I remember when I was a little boy. Seven years old, my dad took me fishing, and my mom came up to me. And she said, I'm going to pray that you catch a fish. I said, no, mama, don't, don't pray that I catch a fish. She said, why? I said, I want to do it all by myself. Well, I didn't catch any fish. And, uh, and I was actually a pretty bad fisherman until Sharon's, parents, Sharon's dad took me fishing on the Zambezi River in Africa. And uh, I had a beard. I had a really holy beard. Uh, I was a holy man. I had a hole here, and, uh, and, and uh, just like a really holy beard, just like this guy over here. And, uh, <laughs> and sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, uh, but, but uh, my wife, my fiance, my girlfriend back then, she said, well, if you catch a fish over 10 pounds, will you shave off your beard? I said, okay, if I catch one over 10 pounds. Well, I never caught anything for the longest time that morning, and they were catching fish like crazy. They filled up a pickup truck full of fish, and, uh, and I wasn't catching anything. So I remember just bowing my head and saying, okay, Lord, I invite you to my party. Help me catch a fish today. So I went out, and I, about 10 minutes later, caught this 12-pound tiger fish. And it was, a tr it was actually by African standards, a trophy fish. And I was going to mount it, but my dog ate it. And, uh, but but uh, we, uh, uh, you know, weighed it, and it was 12 pounds, something ounces. And they said, you got to shave off your beard. And I said, oh, well, let's wait. Well, we'll weigh it later. Of course, I knew that later on the water's going to come out of it, and it's not going to be as heavy. And uh, so, but I didn't, I didn't catch it. They were catching all day, and I wasn't catching anything. So I went and laid down in this little cove there, and I'm falling asleep. And I got 90-pound test, 90 pounds. These guys are serious fishermen. 90-pound test under my thumb like this, and I'm falling asleep, and I realized the next day when I flew over, that's where the crocodiles like to sleep. I'm glad they didn't come and join me. But uh, I fell asleep, and all of a sudden, my fingers started painting, blood everywhere, all over my shirt, and all over my hand, and, and this line went out. And on the other end of the line, uh, after about an hour and 30 minutes, I, f I discovered there was a 75-pound catfish on the end. 75 pounds. It was a fun fish to catch. 
You know, um, I just say this, that I've invited Jesus to all my fishing engagements now. And I've caught barracuda off the coast of Belize, and I've caught salmon uh, uh, up in Alaska, and I've caught, we, my whole family went fishing in Indian River, and we caught uh, 40 and 50 pound tunas. And uh, best meal I ever had in my life was the one I caught. And uh, just, you know, caught fish all over the world. You got to invite Jesus to your party. I remember when I was six, seven, 17 years old, I was working at a farmer's co-op in Africa. My parents were missionaries, and I was with a, ch- uh, uh, a guy from Chicago and a guy from Scotland. And they had backpacked all the way down through Africa. And I was serving the Lord, and they obviously weren't. And uh, I said, they were, te- they were taunting me and tempting me to come and travel with them. Come on, we'll go to this country, we'll go to that country. We'll just backpack through Africa, it'll be a blast. And I kind of went and saw where they lived. They lived in one of those hostels or whatever. And uh, just living like bums and, you know, not living a great life. And I was still tempted to go, but I, 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 re- I came to my senses. I was tempted for about a week. And I came to my senses and realized that if I had gone with them, I wouldn't be serving the Lord. I wouldn't have been serving the Lord. And so I chose. I said, God, I'm going to do it your way. I want to see the world, but, I, but, I, but I, I'm not going to follow them. And, you know, after all these years, I've been to 145 countries around the world, preached Jesus Christ in those countries. I never had to live in a hostel, never had to live like a bum. Come on now. Jesus paid the way because you got to invite Jesus to your party, amen. So invite Jesus to your party. That's the first thing. Make sure he's around, hallelujah. Make sure you're on working relationship. If you want to live in a cycle of miracles, I'm not talking about a last-minute ditch, ditch, ditch effort you can call upon. He's merciful. But how about living in a system where he's around all the time and he's involved in your life all the time and he goes with you everywhere you go and he's part of your life and he's involved in your finances and he's involved in your marriage. Come on now. And he's involved in your life. Come on, are you with me right now? Invite Jesus to your party. Number two, this might sound elementary, but this is, this is as simple as anything. Number two, you got to pray. You got to pray, 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 pray. <laughs> you know, like the old barbershop contact. Why don't you have a little talk with Jesus? Tell him all about your troubles. <laughs> you got to pray. Now, listen to me. I know some of you. Oh, well, yeah, that's pretty elementary. Yeah, it is. Well, I found out there's a lot of Christians who don't pray. You got people on one side say, God's sovereign, God's sovereign. Whatever God wants to happen will happen, so why pray? And there's a lot of Christians in our, uh, our churches across the nation of Canada believe exactly that way. They might not admit it, but they do because they don't pray. Then you got the other hand, you got people on the other side who believe in confession. And I believe in confession. But your confession does not cover your time of prayer. When you have a problem, the Bible says, cast your cares upon me. For he cares for us. Amen. And then it says, it says, you have not because you ask not. You knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given. Hallelujah. And so there's a time. Yes, I believe in confession. I believe in making those bold confessions. I'm the healthy. I'm the healed. I'm blessed. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. But when you still have a problem, you still need to come to Jesus and tell him your problems because he had created that system for you and him to have communion together. Amen. Are you with me right now? So you got to tell Jesus your problem. Now, I want to show you something. Mary goes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, we run out of wine. Jesus goes, woman. Must have been their culture. I don't know. If I had done that with my mom, I would have got beaten up with a broom. But uh, she said, he says, woman, what am I to do with you? My hour not come yet. And Mary didn't get all depressed and say, oh, guys, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. This marriage is going, this wedding feast is going to be terrible. You know, just don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. Jesus isn't going to do anything for us. No, she kept in faith. Have you ever had a time you've gone to the Lord and you prayed, almost all of you have, and it seems like things almost got worse? That's when you got to keep in faith. Because Jesus heard your cry, hallelujah. And just because you didn't get the answer you wanted, it didn't seem like, you know, you just got all bumpy, goosey thing, feelings that everything's going to be all right, doesn't mean that God's not working on your behalf. So Mary didn't get the most positive answer from Jesus. This is Jesus. And she didn't get the most positive answer for Jesus, but she still kept an attitude of faith and used words of faith. Can I tell you, your words will steer your ship. Your words are like a rudder. I still believe that no matter how stormy the waters are around you, your tongue can still steer your ship out of trouble. Come on now. I believe that with all my heart. 
And so Mary kept the positive confession, and she said to him, whatever he tells you to do, do it. In other words, he'll come through. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You've got to use your words of faith. Hallelujah. You've got to use your, I usually, usually go, people come up to me and say, Brother Mark, do you have a, do you have a tape on, uh, uh, on, on confession? Do you have a tape on healing? Do you have a tape on, do you have a tape on, on finances? And I say, yeah, there's a roll of duct tape over there. Just put it over your mouth and shut up. Because sometimes we get our life into such terrible positions because of our mouth. Are you with me right now? Come on. We got to remind ourselves that our mouth is like a rudder and that we steer the ship. And Jesus said, he said, as you whispered in my ear, so shall I do it unto you. Come on now. I believe that with all words are our tree of life. And he said, he that love it. We'll eat the fruit thereof. If I'm going to eat the fruit of my words, I want to make sure my words are good. Amen. Hallelujah. Number one, invite Jesus to your party. Number two, pray. Number three, keep an attitude of faith. Number four, these are simple, but they're hard to do, but you've got to remind yourself over and over again. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. These are principles that you've got to keep in action. And if you'll not... If you're, if, you're, if you're not cautious, the enemy will try to trick you to think there's something more complex that you have to do. But it's simple. Invite Jesus to your party. Pray. Tell, uh, keep an attitude of faith. Number four, you got to get some containers. Everybody say containers. Say, what do you mean a container? Jesus said to the servants, go and get some containers. Pour water into the containers. Draw water. And then draw the water, pour it into the governor's tab, uh, goblet. Listen to me. A lot of people want to have the blessings of God in their life, but they haven't made room for the blessing in their life. Come on now. Oh, Jesus, I want to be a wealthy businessman so I can just bless your kingdom. And yet they haven't made room in their life and set the foundation that they would bless the kingdom before they get wealthy. Are you with me right now? Yeah, people that say, well, I want to be healed, but they won't take time. They'll re- take time reading all over the internet about their problem and how dangerous it is and how difficult it is and how many other things could happen as a side shoot from it, but they haven't taken time to get in the Bible and read about the Word of God and how God healed us. And, and by His stripes, we were healed absolutely for sure. He took our train. Come on now. You've got to build a container for God's blessing. That happens, that happens with us spiritually. It happens with us physically. It also ha- happens with us materially. Back in 19, uh, 2004, I looked out, and my wife and I had a tremendous breakthrough in our finances in 2004, and we never looked back. But in 2004, I looked at our life. We had one bank account for everything for our family, one bank account for everything for our ministry. And uh, I remember the Lord telling me, you got to get some barns. I said, what do I want to know about barns? I'm a city slicker. I was born in Hamilton, Ontario. I don't want to know about barns. I don't know anything about barns. I don't, ooh, well, who wants to know about barns? God says, okay, get some containers. You know, remember the woman at the, uh, in, the, the lady, in the Old Testament, the prophet goes up to her and says, go and borrow some containers. Not a few, which gives you the understanding that as many containers as you had a God, God could have filled. And if you only got two, he would have filled two. But if you had got 200, he would have filled 200. How many containers do you have? I got a revelation that back in 2004, and I thought, my God, I got to get some more containers. In, in the spirit realm, I got to get some containers. In the, in, the, in the physical realm, I got some, in the material realm, I got to get some containers. And so we started to realize that, you know, Christmas comes every year. And so we got a little Christmas account. Come on now. How many, after all those years, you know, I, I don't know, 2004, 42 years old, I finally figured out Christmas comes every year. And I didn't have to go in debt for it. Come on now. I get a little container for Christmas account. And when Christmas came around, my stomach wasn't in knots. Then I got a little container for a car. I realized that, you know, when I, when I, when I need a new car, I didn't have to go down to the barn down on the corner street. I could go to my own barn, borrow from my own barn, and I could pay interest if I wanted to or not. Are you with me right now? I started realizing it's good to have some barns and containers. And God will give you wisdom because your job is, and, your, and your old age security, these are not your only source. God can bless you in other ways, but you've got to stretch yourself and believe God. So I looked at our ministry did, uh, the other week, and I realized that we have something somewhere around 68 bank accounts worldwide. Now, I'm not saying they're all overwhelmingly overflowing, but they, they have enough going that they don't get closed down. 
And I'm saying that they flow and they're producing something and people are getting saved and healed and lives are being changed because of it. Hallelujah. Listen to me. You got to start thinking about barns. You got to think about containers. About two years ago, the Lord spoke to me, take $2,000, put it in cryptocurrency. I'm not saying, Justin, you do. It's really low right now. You do whatever God tells you to do. Don't blame me. Um, But I took $2,000 and within eight months turned it into $19,000. Took out five, left $14,000 back in there. Hallelujah. That's a barn, hallelujah. That's a container that God can fill. How many containers do you have? Are you believing God to fill your containers? Get some containers. Get some containers. I can't speak that loud enough to a couple people here. You've just got one or two containers, and you're trying to live off one or two containers, and God wants to bless you with streams, streams of resources, streams. You're a one-container Christian, but God's got a lot of things he wants to teach you, hallelujah. You're a one-container life, but God wants you to enjoy your life. You're one container, you're one container finances, but God wants to bless you with other sources. Come on now. Hallelujah. What I like is I get blessed, and I not only can, when I get blessed on other sources, I not only bless, get blessed, I can tithe off my, my, my income from salary, but I can also tithe off other things that get blessed too. Are you with me right now? And because of that, I can be a, a blessing to the point that last year, when, they, when the uh, typhoon went through uh, 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 the Philippines, we could turn around and restore 250 homes and churches. And when, when, when the, uh, the volcano arose in Goma, East Congo, we could restore 250, uh, we could restore the churches there that had been buried live because we had containers. Let me finish this off. Get some containers. Shake somebody, tell them, get some containers. I'm talking to you right now. I feel the Spirit of God speaking to you right now. Get some containers. Get some barns. But finally, you got to be a drawer. Not a drawer with pens and paper, but you got to be a drawer. You got to be willing to draw water. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, the key to your miracles always is always in your hands. And I found out when I look in the Bible that, that over 99% of the time, there's a couple exceptions, that every time Jesus did a miracle in somebody's life, it was a step of obedience. Go up to the River Jordan. Priest, you got to put your feet in the water. No, you open the water, we'll put our feet in. No, you put your feet in, I'll open the water. Man with a crippled hand. Jesus says, stand on your feet. Hey, there's nothing wrong with my feet. They work fine. Jesus said, stand on your feet. He stood on his feet. Jesus gave him power to stretch forth his hand. Are you with me right now? You got to be a drawer. You got to be willing to do whatever he asks you to do. Now, I've done some things that to this day, I don't know whether they were God or not. I didn't see any benefit in it. I thought I heard God's voice. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll find out why I did that found out that it brought a breakthrough, but there's been a lot of things that I've done in obedience to God that have initiated breakthroughs in my life, my finances. Because God doesn't want you living at the bottom. He wants you living at the top. We live in a cycle as a ministry. We have to believe God for about $15,000 a week. We don't have tithes and offerings coming in. We have to trust God for every dime. And you know, God, God supplies a couple weeks ago, we had a a bill come through, $23,000 for a fence around one of our properties in Africa, $23,000. How do you raise $23,000 for a fence? Nobody wants to pay for a fence. They want to pay for a school. They want to pay for a church. They want to help you win souls. I remember just saying, Lord, this ain't my problem. It's yours. I'm not going to have any knots in my stomach over this. You're going to have to take care of it. You're the one who thunked this dream up. You're the one who begun it. You're the one who's going to have to finish it. Listen to me. In that moment, the next day, a check came in. It wasn't for $20,000. It wasn't for $27,000. It was exactly for $23,000 to finish off that fence. Listen to me. God can work miracles like that where there's no sweat in between the moment you believe and the moment you receive because you can learn to live in a cycle of miracles on a higher level, a higher plane where you know what it's all about. Let me conclude this thing. I could go three different directions, but for quickly, I want to just conclude it this way. 
Nobody was going to die if Jesus didn't come through. Nobody was going to go bankrupt. In fact, you could say that Jesus did a miracle just for fun. And so often we think of miracles as the last ditch effort. I remember one time preaching in Sarnia. And I was preaching on that prophet said, say not, you're but a child. Stop saying you're a child. So I was preaching, you know how it goes. You take one phrase and you run off it. Stop saying you can't afford it. And stop saying we try to be forward. Stop saying, and out of my lips came, stop saying you can't afford a vacation. There's no manipulation. There's a big crowd there. Nobody knew what I was saying. But my wife and I, we just kind of looked at each other. We hadn't talked about it. But, man, we needed a vacation. Got in the car, drove home that night. About an hour away from where we live. Sweaty clothes in the back. I didn't even take time to, 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 to take them out of the car. Just left them in that night. And walked into the house, took a shower, went to sleep. But before, while we were driving home, the only words we said is, between each other, I said, I said honey, we need a vacation. She says, amen to that. Got up the next morning, took my clothes out of the car, uh, got the books out of the car, uh, uh, took them to the laundry, took the clothes to the laundry, whatever. And then, because I, I had the keys in my hand, I said, I'm going to go down to the post office and see what kind of mail came in last Friday. Go down to the post office, and there it is. Checking the mail from somebody from British Columbia. I never have received anything from them before, never received anything since. But in the letter it said, God told me you need a vacation. Here's a couple thousand dollars. Don't put it in the ministry. This is for you. Now, that doesn't happen very often. Let me tell you something. But I started to figure that out. God knew that I was going to ask on a Sunday night. But earlier that week, he got something going before you even call upon him. He will answer. Hallelujah. Over in B.C. And to talk to that guy who was a stubborn old guy. I mean, I'm thank God. But God had to come through for him. See? What's your point, preacher? My preacher, my point is this, is that we need to learn to walk in a rhythm of miracles. Had a girl, and then I'm going to close. Had a girl come home from a service in Timmins, Ontario, or Geraldton, Ontario. She'd been married for three years, she, three, three uh, months, and she had lost her Bible. And she said, well, the preacher said that I should trust you, Lord. She said, I, I could buy a new Bible. I got lots of money for that. But she said, I just want my old Bible back. Prayed. Ten minutes later, the phone rang. It was from a hotel where she had a honeymoon. And the people from the hotel said, did you leave a Bible here? We found your Bible. And they said, we've been wanting to call for months, but this is the first time because of COVID and all that. This is the first time we had a chance. Why did they call that night? Called that night because she called upon the name of the Lord and believed God for a miracle. Maybe you're here today, you want to take somebody out for dinner and encourage them but you don't have the money. Why don't you believe God for that money that you could take somebody out and encourage them? Why don't you believe God for some fun things? Believe God for something. I'm not talking about believing God to win the lottery. That's a selfish thing. But pray, start believing God for some easy things, some fun things. And start realizing God is not your, just your last-ditch effort, but he's someone who walks with you all the time and works with you all the time. Amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm over time right now, but I, 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 I couldn't miss this one. Maybe you're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, backslidden. Not sure today that if you died, you'd make, you'd make heaven. Listen to me, I, I'm talking to you. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I, I do want to take a moment. You're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You're here today, you're backslidden. You're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, that you'd make heaven. But you want to know for sure. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm not asking whether you know, can quote scripture. Lots of people can quote scripture. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Do you know today that if you died, you'd make heaven? Can you say for sure? Jesus wants to turn your water into wine. He wants to turn your life into a new creation. He wants to give you life. He wants to take the deadness out of your life and give you a new life. Take the heart of stone out of your life and give you a new heart. He wants to give you a fresh, make you a fresh new creation. You're here today, you don't know Jesus. You're here today, you can't say that if you died, you'd make heaven. You're here today, you say, brother, I don't know. If you don't know today, can I tell you, I'm not trying to confuse you, but if you don't know you're saved, you're not. Because the Bible says it's given us to, us to know that we have life eternal. You're here today, you say, brother Mark, I can't say for sure I'm saved. Then you're not, because the Bible says, let the redeemed 
of the Lord say so. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus. You're backsitting. You can't say for sure that you're saved. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to speak in the microphone. But I do want to pray with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Young man, I'm talking to you. Sir, lady, Spirit of God's here right now. You're here today. You don't know Jesus. You're not serving Jesus. Not sure if you died today, you'd make heaven, but you want to know for sure. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Get ready right now. One. Young man. Two. Three. Lift up your hand. Yes, I see your hand over there. Is there anyone else? As I just scan across this auditorium. Anybody else? You say, Brother Mark, I need to get right with Jesus. I need to. Yes, I see your hand there. Two people. Is there anyone else? God bless you. Is there anyone else? Pray, pray for me. Yes, I see your hand. That's three. Anybody else right now as the Spirit of God would draw you? Jesus, right now, anyone else? Ask, yes, I see your hand, sir. Four people. Is there anyone else? You'd say, Brother Mark, pray for me right now. Just pray for me right now. I'm going to ask everybody to stand all over this auditorium right now. We're going to pray for those who raise their hands. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me right now. For those who raise their hands. I'm going to ask you right now, just pray this prayer with me. Everybody pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my life. Touch my heart. Cleanse me. Make me what I need to be. I need you in my life. I believe you died so I could live. Suffered so I could be well. Went to hell so I could go to heaven. And you rose again so I could live a victorious life. From this day forward. I boldly confess I'm saved. In Jesus' name. Everybody, raise your hand right now. Father, all over this auditorium right now, I pray, Lord God, that this group of people, Lord God, would come to an understanding of how great and awesome you are. That you're able to take that which is dead and make it alive. There is no distance. There is no time barrier. You're able to take that which is worthless and make it valuable. And Lord, I thank you that we can learn to live in a rhythm of miracles, Lord God, and go higher and higher and produce great and mighty things for you, Lord God, in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that people's faith would be stretched as they begin to reach out and to use you today, use you this week, use their faith this week, and see your power demonstrated in their midst in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.